Some men go to war for the desire to protect others from tyranny, with sword and shield in hand and banners flown. Others go to war for glory and fame, while some go forth to save the souls of those who fall. This week, we look at the most decorated chaplain in the Australian Imperial Force. Welcome to the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast. I'm Ross Manuel. I'm an amateur historian and writer. And this week, I look into the life, service, and historical impact of Reverend Senior Chaplain Lieutenant Colonel Walter Ernest Dexter, who served attached to the first Australian headquarters during the First World War. Before we get started, an update on a previous episode. Those of you who recall my two-part series on Breaker Morant would would recall that I said that the story was far from over. In fact, as I was doing research for this episode, I uncovered that that on the 6th of November 2021, after 120 years, Breaker Morant, Harry Moffat, and George Whitten will all be issued this Boer War Service Medals. Presumably for their service in the regular forces, not their service as part of the Bushveld Carboneers. If there are any further updates to the narrative of Breaker Moran, no doubt I will share them here. But enough of that, on to this week's episode. Walter Ernest Dexter was born the 31st of August 1873 in Birkenhead, Cheshire, England. He is the youngest of eight children to Thomas Dexter, a shipwright, and his wife Martha. He was educated in St. Catherine's School, Higher Tranmere, and at the age of 14, he was indentured for five years at wages of nothing plus 12 shillings for washing on the bark Buckingham. However, at the end of his first voyage, he ran away in Calcutta and stowed aboard a ship bound for New York, where he worked in a biscuit factory and as a lift attendant. He would eventually return to the sea in 1890 aboard the Pythamine, which was under the command of his eldest brother Thomas. Apparently, he developed an affinity for the sea, as he appears in the books of 37 separate voyages from 1888 to 1900, serving aboard both sail and steamships. One of these voyages happened to be a trip to Melbourne, Victoria, in 1893. While at sea, he rose through the ratings, going from boy through lamper trimmer, able seaman, and then all grades of mate. So invested in seafaring, he went on for his master's certificate in 1899, though it would seem he didn't get much opportunity to use it, as while he was serving as first mate aboard the Akbar, ported out of Mauritius, in 1899, war was declared between Britain and the two independent Boer states of the Transvaal and the Orange Free State in South Africa, in what would become known as the Second Anglo-Boer War. With the fervour of patriotism that ran rampant through the British Empire on the 19th of February 1900 in Calcutta, India, he joined the European Volunteer Mounted Infantry Unit known as Lumsden's Horse, otherwise known as the Indian Mountain Regiment, which was interesting considering the fact that the Viceroy of India was not amenable to Indian forces being deployed to South Africa. To get around this, Lumsden's force comprised of European colonialists, namely tea planters and merchant mariners. Lumsden's horse was comprised of two companies and a machine gun section, and Trooper Dexter uh, was in number four section of B Company. Much like the Australian colonial forces that were deployed to the Boer War, Lumsden's horse served primarily in a scouting role when it deployed in March 1900 and served in support of the British Army in their fight against Boer forces. During his time in South Africa, for reasons not entirely clear, as the citation no longer exists, Trooper Dexter was awarded the Distinguished Conduct Medal. 
Now there's a general citation by the unit's commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Douglas McTavish Lumsden, in regards to the six DCMs awarded by the unit, and it goes as follows. The men I have recommended for this decoration behaved splendidly throughout the campaign and many individual plucky actions. They were the pick of my scouts and were always selected for any difficult or dangerous duty had to be performed. Now while it can't be 100% confirmed, there are at least two incidents during his year-long deployment that must have been instrumental for him receiving the second highest award for gallantry in the British system of awards. Lumsden's horse was in the vanguard of the advance on Elan's Fronten, a Boer railway centre. Lumsden was in the advance guard commander and had only five companies at his disposal. The Boers were using the telegraph wires to report on British actions and even potentially directing artillery fire. Private Dexter, under heavy fire, rode forward and climbed a telegraph pole to cut the communication wires. Other authorities have cited an action at Kari when a party of Lumsden's horse was cut off and had to fight their way out, suffering 50% casualties. For his service in the Boer War, he would be awarded the Queen's South African Medal with three clasps. After discharge from his Boer War service, he returned to the sea and was given an award from the Royal Humane Society for Gallantry after the Indian-controlled cargo ship SS Tyre ran aground off the entrance to Port Louis, Mauritius, on the 22nd of March 1901. He then became master of the SS Afghan, carrying Muslim pilgrims whose piety impressed him to Mecca and then traded in the off-season. On the 16th of September 1902 in Mauritius, he married Frances Louisa Carroll, who sadly died one year later. To help with his grief, he joined the Freemasons and began to feel a driving force, certainly not of himself. After studying Latin, Greek and Hebrew while at sea, he entered Durham University in England in 1906 with the intention of joining the Anglican ministry. Graduating with a Master of Arts degree and a Licentiate in Theology in 1908, he was ordained and appointed curate in Walbourne, Newcastle upon Tyne, until 1910 when he was sent to the new coal mining town of Wonthaggy in Victoria. For two years, his tent was his vicarage before he was transferred to South Melbourne. In the 8th of April 1913, he remarried, marrying Dora Sterling Roadknight in Christchurch, Ormond. At the outset of the First World War, 41-year-old Reverend Dexter, a veteran of the Second Anglo-Boer War, a man of the cloth and a father to a newborn son born at the start of the year, he didn't have to go to the war, but decided to follow his parish anyway, and on the 8th of September 1914 was commissioned as a chaplain grade 4 with the nominal rank of captain within the Australian Imperial Force. He'd be one of only 12 chaplains appointed to the force during this time, eventually becoming 414. His parishioners at the St. Barnabas, South Melbourne, presented him with the travelling communion kit. He departed Melbourne aboard the HMAT Oveto A3 on the 21st of October 1914. He sailed with the first convoy and served in Egypt and on the Suez Canal before he tended to the Anzac wounded in a hospital ship and joined the troops on Gallipoli, first with the 5th Battalion, then the 2nd Brigade, both in the 1st Division. On Gallipoli, a chaplain's duties were dangerous and varied. On top of the normal mass and prayer services, including burial parties, they also served as stretcher bearers, helped with the wounded, participated in parade, took care of the other welfare and morale-boosting activities for the soldiers. Dexter took this in his stride, sharing the lives and dangers of the men, helping them practically and spiritually, and using effectively his long experience of acquiring things from headquarters and storage depots. As a piece of AIF, Dogrel called him the pinching padre attests. He was as good as a doctor, wrote a sergeant. 
Those 12 chaplains became the best friend of the soldiers, and Dexter definitely was. In his diary, the day after the Anzac landings at Gallipoli, Dexter wrote that he, assisting with two doctors, treated 700 wounded men, writing, While I write, I want to cry. Shattered limbs, bullets in the head, through the body in every conceivable manner, and yet with a smile they say to me, All right, doctor, tend to the other poor fellow first. Like all members of the AIF, he remained on the peninsula until the evacuation in December. During this time, he was promoted to chaplain grade 3 with the rank of major. Before he was evacuated, he was entrusted with the task of carefully surveying the cemeteries before leaving Gallipoli on the 17th of December 1915. And as he did, he scattered silver wattle seeds across the graves and gullies, recording, I intend that a little bit of Australia shall be here even if we have to leave. When he left, he took with him a Gallipoli cross, a grave marker made of twigs, and it and his communion case are both on display in the Australian War Memorial's First World War galleries. For his actions on Gallipoli, Chaplain Dexter was appointed Companion of the Distinguished Service Order. He was one of two chaplains awarded this honour for Gallipoli. He was also mentioned in dispatches, and for those who aren't familiar with this honour, a mention in dispatches essentially relates to your name being included in a report sent to high command, meaning that you did something worthy enough of your superiors to tell anyone about. It's not an award or medal, it's a commendation, and was prior to 1979 one of only three awards that could be issued posthumously, the other two being the Victoria Cross and the George Cross. Because of this, it is one of the most awarded commendations of the British Empire. After a brief stint in Egypt and the Sinai, Chaplain Dexter sailed for France with the 1st Anzac Corps in April 1916 and was present at Australia's bloodening at the Battle of Pozieres, where he served as a compassionate handyman as the AIF's senior-most Church of England chaplain in France. And save for brief periods at the AIF headquarters in London, where he would be reunited with his wife, who had relocated to England to be near her husband, stayed with the men until the last Australian offences in August 1918. On the 8th of March 1918, he would be recommended for the Military Cross for conspicuous services rendered to the men, making him the most decorated chaplain in the Australian Imperial Force. And the actions that garnered this award are pretty recording, considering that he was actually mentioned by the official war correspondent and later historian Charles Bean in regards to Chaplain Dexter, with support from the Australian Comforts Fund, established the, at the corner of Bay Courtwood, a coffee stall, and henceforth became a cherished institution on the edge of every Australian battlefield. He was also instrumental in the establishment of cinemas and other diversions from the doldrum of war. During his rotations back to AIF headquarters in London, he welcomed his second and third children to the world, both sons born in 1917 and 1918 respectively. Dexter was still serving the spiritual needs of the men up until the armistice, and as the AIF was slowly in the process of being returned to Australia, Dexter was transferred to London in December 1918 to serve in the demobilisation staff, a post he would stay until the final disbandment of the Australian Imperial Force in 1920, and would return to Melbourne. It would seem that his service in the war conflicted him on a spiritual level, and he had doubts upon returning to his congregation after all this amongst men. And like so many others, he tried a soldier settlement's block in Kilsleth, Victoria, some 36 kilometres east of Melbourne. Walter wasn't a good farmer, and the death of his fourth child as a newborn compounded a condition that today might have been diagnosed as PTSD. He would stay at Kilsleth for four years until the venture failed, and he returned to the cloth. First, he was assigned to the Romsey Parish from 1924 to 1927, then the Lara Parish from 1927 to 1940, and finally, West Footscray Parish from 1940 to 1947. 
Post-war, he would go back to school and get his diploma of education and going to teaching, along with his pastoral duties, civic affairs, writing, and war commemoration services. It didn't leave him with a lot of free time, but he was able to welcome his last three children, sons born in 1921 and 1924 respectively, and a daughter in 1926. Dexter remained a beloved figure amongst ex-soldiers and would give lantern show talks featuring hundreds of photographs he'd taken during the war. If you're looking for an example of what a lantern show is, it's essentially a slideshow where instead of using Polaroids and a mechanical filter, it was a group collection of glass negatives placed in front of a candle and projected against the wall. On Armistice Day, what is now collectively referred to as Remembrance Day, on the 11th of November, 1934, at the Lara Parish, poet laureate John Maysfield gave the first reading of his poem, For the Dead at Gallipoli. I mention this because Maysfield also assisted towards the publication in 1938 of Dexter's sea book, Rope Yarns, Marline, Spikes and Tar. Lieutenant Colonel Walter Ernest Dexter, DSO, MC, DCM, MID, died on the 31st of August 1950 of a pulmonary edema resulting from his exposure to gas in his East Malvern home at the age of 77. He was survived by his wife, five sons, all of whom served in the Second World War, and one daughter. His three eldest sons are, as far as my research can tell, are still alive. The press had told us of his amazing career, his distinctions, his activities, and his varied ministry. Wrote a wartime colleague, the then Archbishop of Melbourne, he was a man of great gifts. It takes a certain level of courage to willingly go into battle unharmed, even more so to stand atop the parapet as artillery falls around you to probably send off the eternal souls of the recently slain. And considering the awards and decorations and how well he was considered amongst the men while simply doing his job, Reverend Walter Dexter exemplified the values of the post and he's, for one padre, worthy of recognition. And that's the story of Reverend Senior Chaplain Lieutenant Colonel Walter Ernest Dexter, DSO, MC, DCM, MID. Next time on the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast, sometimes service is not what people expect. Some have second thoughts about their decision to enlist. Others have doubts about their abilities once the medal meets the meat. So what happens when you realize that you're better off serving the war effort by not being a part of it, but by recording it on canvas? Next time on the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast, I go into the life, service, and legacy of one of only three artists to record the Gallipoli attack from first-hand experience a man who would go on to becoming an Australian official war artist, Private Ellis Lucanio Silas. Thanks for listening to the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast, a Doc Network production. I would really appreciate it and would help out the show if you would share this or leave a comment on Spotify or Google Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts as it really helps others find the show. If you want to know more about today's episode with photos, show notes and transcripts, head over to www.thedocnetwork.net and follow the show on IWODMJ on Instagram. Don't worry, there'll be a link in the description. If you want to follow me for more history hijinks and random nerdery, you can follow me on practically everything at, at Doc Winters. Once again, my name is Ross. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Bye.